Because everyone deserves to experience the joy of a beautiful day at the lake. Because if polar bears thrive, humans will too. Because people and wildlife need fresh air, clean water, and healthy places to live. Today on Because Radio, Mama Wichita Center strengthens families and promotes truth and reconciliation in the community. Women of Note celebrate their 25th anniversary this weekend. This week's Winnipeg Impact Makers, the University of Winnipeg Pace Program Public Relations and Marketing class, help keep plastic bags out of landfills. And this week's foundation feature is a preview of the latest episode of Because and Effect, featuring artist and activist Cal Barteski. All this and more on Because Radio. Hello and welcome to Because Radio. It's our second episode. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Robert Zirk. And I'm Sunny Promolo. We have an excellent show for you today. Absolutely. We have lots to get to. It's a full show this week. Today's focus will be on environment and animal welfare. So we have a couple of stories coming up later on in the episode. Your Winnipeg Impact Maker this week uh, is helping keep plastic bags out of landfills, which is fantastic. And then we will be joined by because in effect host Nolan Bicknell and we'll have pieces of his conversation with Cal Barteski so they had a a great conversation about her art and uh, about the work that she's been doing up in Churchill and how she's been supporting innovative and non-invasive polar bear research so lots to get to there I'll also be speaking with Patricia Rabson of Women of Note and to start off we're going to be continuing our series highlighting the initiative supported through the Winnipeg Foundation Foundation's Reconciliation Grants Program. Because radio producer Jeremy Morant spoke with Diane Redsky, the executive director of Mama Wichita Center, and Mama Wichita in Ojibwe translates to the phrase, we all work together to help one another. And so we'll learn about how Mama Wichita's community-led programming and services are strengthening children, families, and communities. And we'll also learn how the organization is working together with CUSO International on dialogue, capacity building, and education to support truth and reconciliation in our community. So we'll have Jeremy's conversation coming up first here on Because Radio. You're listening to Because Radio on CJNU. I'm Jeremy Morantz. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm here with Diane Redsky, Executive Director from Mama Wichita. Thank you so much for being here. You're very welcome. Thank you for the invitation. So to start off, why don't you give us an understanding of what your organization is and what you do? So the Mama Wichita Center was established in 1984 by the Indigenous community, needing a community response system to the high number of Indigenous kids in the child welfare system. And so the community came together in 1984 to create the Mama Wichita Center, which translates from Ojibwe, we all work together to help one another. To be more of an organization that is Indigenous-led, non-profit, non-mandated, which means we don't apprehend kids from families. We, and 
In fact, we do the opposite. We return kids to their families. So the Munwich Test Center since 1984 has really grown considerably in our role in serving and working with our Indigenous community in Winnipeg because we know uh, that Winnipeg has the highest population of Indigenous people in the country with uh, over 10% of our population. And so what, what that brings is a whole wealth of strengths and ability and contributions of the Indigenous community in uh, our own growth and development. So the Mamawishita Center is a little bit of everything to everyone. We have community care centers, we work with youth, we work with families, uh, we are located in communities, we do a number of capacity building opportunities and in fact one of our community care centers is called the Living Room of the North End where that is a high population of Indigenous people live within the North End and so all of our places are welcoming places and we are rooted in in our culture, we are rooted in our values for caring for one another and and that's really the important role that we play in the lives of Indigenous families in Winnipeg. So you mentioned uh, the living room of the North End, can you tell us uh, a little bit more about some of the other specific programs that uh, that you guys do? Yeah, there's really four areas that the Monwichita Center concentrates on and the first area is community care centers. So we operate three of them in communities, in neighborhoods where there's a, a high population of Indigenous people. You can come and use a phone, talk to somebody, uh, uh, have a shower, uh, take a program, uh, get a meal. Uh, there's always coffee on and, and always somebody greeting. You can volunteer, you can take training. Uh, so it, it's a little bit of everything for everyone and they're, they're natural gathering places for our people to come together. Last year we had over 25,000 individuals come through our community care centers alone. So we know that that is a representation of about 31% of the indigenous population in, in Winnipeg. The second area that the Mumwichita Center in terms of our programming is uh, we for now it's called children and care programming so we play a support role for the child welfare system so if kids have to come into the care of the child welfare system then we want them we want to take care of them within our foster homes which are indigenous foster homes into some of our group care facilities which again are, are operated by our community our indigenous community based on our values the third area is our youth leadership development. So we have over 3,000 youth involved in our youth programming, anywhere from taking a POW club and you're five years old to you're 21 and you're doing a job readiness program. And so we have a wide variety of youth leadership development opportunities. And then our fourth area is what we call innovation, but that's our sneaky way of saying um, Indigenous knowledge and knowledge keepers. So we are, we've emphasized uh, programming within the Mamawichita Centre where we have not really fit into a government program. We are doing it rooted and in our values and in our indigenous way and so we have a family group conferencing program uh, we operate a cultural learning center where community it's outside of the city uh, where community is going there to heal and to learn and to be mentored and role modeled uh, by others and so it, it really plays an important part in the uh, in our community and the fact that we are uh, really building on knowledge keepers because as indigenous people there's a really harmful stereotype that we don't know what we're doing and we need to be saved and and um, 
uh, we know nothing. And it's actually the opposite of that. We've been a very resilient uh, community. We have stayed true uh, for the most part to our language, to our culture. And it's those things that have really created the the foundation and the lives of our people and why we've survived this long uh, after everything that, that has been done. I understand that you're um, working with CUSO International on a reconciliation project. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, and just to give you some background and some really important to set the context, one of the things our elders have already said is slow down everyone because we have already taken truth out of truth and reconciliation and we want to get people want to get from point a to point b super fast uh in fact there's you know online courses you can take on reconciliation if you pay 300 dollars uh to get a certificate that you reconciled and so uh, that's not the hard work that we know that needs to happen. There is, it's truth and reconciliation. Those things, the, those words must stay together because the truth component helps with the reconciliation and they're, and they're together. And so the project that we have with the Winnipeg, funded by the Winnipeg Foundation and with CUSO International is that we were trying to find an organization that was prepared to do the hard work. There is truth and reconciliation that is superficial, which I would say even 95% of what we've seen from our perspective as an Indigenous-led organization that has happened so far has been real superficial and, and really bypassing the truth part. Some of it just want to, people just want to say sorry and then move on, but there's, it doesn't work that way. There has to be the truth part and then there has to be a, a co-creation of what reconciliation is. And that co-creation of reconciliation is not going to be easy. In fact, our elders tell us if it's too easy, you're doing it wrong. So we really need to make the investments into uh, um, uh, that tough work. And so CUSO International is one of those organizations that stepped up and said, we want to be part of this hard work and we want to be part of the truth and reconciliation. We want to co-create with you on what that looks like. And um, uh, we have some confidence in our partnership with CUSO International to really create the toolkit that can help others not move too fast, not skip a step, uh, but to do it really thoughtfully and in a meaningful way so that everyone is benefiting and not just one population instead of another. What's the ideal goal of what you guys are doing? What's the, what's the end game? The end game is to, uh, to, is to have a toolkit that can be meaningful, that can be useful, that can be helpful in bringing Indigenous and non-Indigenous people together, uh, Indigenous and non-Indigenous organizations together, Indigenous and non-Indigenous governments together, uh, so that we are, we are doing um, interdependent work, that meeting in the middle. Because when there's a meeting in the middle and it's done respectfully and in a meaningful way, that's super powerful. So if, uh, if people would like to get involved in the Mama Wichita Center, uh, whether it's to volunteer, to donate, or just simply to learn more, uh, where would you direct them? Yeah, absolutely. And I strongly encourage people. And again, this is uh, another funding source that we were supported through the Winnipeg Foundation is to create our 445 King Street gathering place 
as a as a true gathering place and so we're doing some uh, small renovations to have a number of our rooms available and encourage people if there are truth and reconciliation initiatives and they don't have a place to meet then please call us it's available for you and so it's as simple as calling our our phone line, our direct line, which is 204-925-0300, or going to the Mama Wichita Center uh, website, which is mamaway.com. And there is a way to contact us at info at mamaway.com if they wanna book a room, if they would like to use our space, if they would like to learn more about the toolkit, uh, if they and if they wanna volunteer. We have a very robust uh, volunteer program as well, and there's lots of ways to have a say and to be involved uh, and to be honored within our organization. Diane Redsky, Executive Director of the Mamawa Ichita Center. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jeremy. Up next on Because Radio, we'll speak with Patricia Rabson, founder and artistic director of the Women of Note Choir. Women of Note are commemorating their 25th anniversary this weekend with a series of two concerts called Still I Rise. We'll learn more coming up on Because Radio. You're listening to Because Radio. Robert Zirk here with you today, and I am now joined via telephone by Patricia Rabson. She is the founder of the Women of Note Choir, who are celebrating their 25th anniversary this weekend with uh, a couple of concerts. And uh, we're going to learn more about the show and about the choir's history today. Patricia, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Seeing as how it's the 25th anniversary of Women of Note, I want to start by going back to the very beginning. Tell us how Women of Note got started. I was a very early retired music teacher and was wondering what to do. And a friend said, there's no place for us to sing. That's just for fun. And I thought, okay, I could do that. Just get a few people together to jam. Within a few months, I sent a few letters out and we, I had 65 people at the first rehearsal. I had decided that it would be women because um, I had been working at Belmoral Hall School and for 10 years and had been working with girls and had, was very familiar with um, female repertoire. How has it changed and grown over the years? As I said, initially, it was just going to be fun and just maybe sing some charts together. And I realized very quickly that I would be bored silly, and that it wasn't really what the people who had come out to sing with me were interested in. And so skill development was very important to the people, and um, we started off not being auditioned, and I learned again very quickly that um, we didn't have any growth. You know, when we started in September, we were never, we never moved from where we left off the following May, and so we started to audition uh, members of and and that made a huge difference because that attracted people who had more choral skill and that's been happening through the whole 25 years and now I have just very strong singers coming into the choir all of the time so now we have the chorale which is the largest body of the choir for those who have various levels of skill and and time to put into it and then I have the chamber singers who are the experienced singers and and they're expected to put in a lot of extra time on their own and then the two choirs sing together as a mass choir. With Women of Note celebrating 25 years, what does it mean for you to have reached this milestone? I'm awed. It has been an amazing ride for me professionally. Um, I'm, I'm doing work at a level I never expected 
I would do because the women in the choir have really pushed me to do that for their own reasons. And it's just amazing to watch these women work together. The sisterhood of the choir awes me. They are there together. They are there for each other in every way, They're for life's events and whatever. They're just always there supporting one another. And that has really just blown me away. And it just is amazing that these women come out every week to let me sort of push them around and shove them into some kind of choral semblance and then go into concerts and make beautiful, beautiful music. And that we've been doing it for 25 years. That's a long time. In talking about that community amongst the choir members, the Women of Note Choir also does a lot to really build community out in the community. And a couple of ways in which you do that is through a series of concerts called the Express Concerts. Tell us a little bit more about the concept behind that. It really is because of the need of the choristers to reach out to the community and give back to the community. And uh, that's basically how it originated. And we also found that there are a lot of people in seniors' residences and other facilities that just are not able to go to concerts anymore, and they're missing that part of their lives. And it was a really good slot for us to fill. And then we found that the people that we were singing for and the institutions that we were singing for wanted us back. So we expanded it. So now at Christmas time, in the two weeks after our concert, which is always the first Sunday in December, we do three concerts over that two weeks, and each of us just drives to the event ourselves. And we perform music that we've done in the Christmas concert, and we sing carols with the residents. And that is just the most amazing experience, to, to see the people's faces. Everyone just engages in that and are very receptive and happy, and there's lots of interaction between the choristers and the audience. It's quite wonderful. This coming concert's all about women. Women working together is amazing because the energy that they can use and, and the dynamic that they can engage in and engage with the audience with is truly, truly a wonderful experience. And that's the theme of this weekend's concert. So Still I Rise, Celebrating Women and Building Bridges to Our Community. Tell us a little bit more about the theme of the concert and uh, maybe about some of the songs that will be performed by Women of Note. When I was sitting down last year to start to figure out this concert, I wanted to do something that was really quite special for the 25th anniversary. As I was researching repertoire, I came upon a song called One with the Wind by an American composer, David O., and um, the poet who worked with was Larissa Fasthorse. The text is based on the Lakota Nation, and so it had that component to it. But it also really reflected the, the circle of lives of women, each of them individually, their families, their friends their communities, their countries. It's really an outstanding piece and big. And it includes trio, solo, small ensemble, large ensemble. And I just thought, this is perfect. This is reflecting our whole 25 years. So it's, it was sort of what I built the concert around. Still I Rise is a gospel-like piece written by a composer named Rosafania Powell. And it really is the empowerment of women. And you know, through life's travails, still I rise. It just reflects the spirit of the women in the choir, and it's really quite special. A project dear to my heart was doing something in recognition of reconciliation and 
Truth and Reconciliation and the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls. And we have commissioned a piece for this concert just to do that. And Joan Shimko, who is an American composer, um, who just has the greatest understanding of cultural communities, has written a really hauntingly beautiful piece um, on the text written by Patricia Rice. It's called The Ancient Ones. And Patricia Rice had actually written it for the Truth and Reconciliation in South Africa several years ago. And it really reflects our community and the meeting of our cultures in our community. And it has indigenous drummers. And there is also an elder who is an, an old family friend of mine who is doing the speakover part in it. It's a very beautiful piece and um, it will touch everyone's heart. Still I Rise is happening this Saturday and Sunday, May 4th and 5th at Manitoba Hydro Place, which is at 360 Portage Avenue. The Sunday afternoon performance is sold out, but you can still get tickets for the Saturday performance at 8 p.m. It's free admission, and to register, you can go to womenofnote.ca. Patricia Rabson is the founder and artistic director of the Women of Note Choir. Uh, Patricia, thank you so much again for speaking with me today about Women of Note. And thank you for having me. Thanks, Robert. Each week on Because Radio, we'll feature impact makers in our community. This week's Winnipeg impact maker is the public relations and marketing class from the University of Winnipeg's Professional Applied and Continuing Education Program. On our first story today on environment and animal welfare, I'll speak with students Ziv and Ashley on how they're doing their part to help reduce the amount of plastic bags that go into the landfill. Welcome back to Because Radio. I'm Sonny Promolo. As you all know, Manitoba is home to some of the most giving people in the country. To share those stories, I'm going around the city to speak with impact makers in Winnipeg. This week, I'm with Ziv Tritelovich and Ashley Smith, students from the University of Winnipeg's Professional Applied and Continuing Education Program. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Sonny. Your class has made the conscious effort to reduce the number of plastic bags that go into the landfill through the uh, Bag It Forward program. Can you let our listeners know what exactly is the Bag It Forward program? So the Bag It Forward program is a partnership between the Multi-Material Stewardship Manitoba and the University of Winnipeg to uh, collect plastic bags that they will then turn over to Winnipeg Harvest, where they will use it for preparing kits of food that that they give to their clients. What about the program made it meaningful to you? Uh, well, I have a personal vendetta against plastic bags blowing around in the wind. And any way that we can get single-use plastic bags into a, the hands of people who can use them again um, is something that I believe in personally. For me personally, I think that it's taking the initiative and really doing something meaningful for the community. Um, you often talk about, you, people t- tell you that they're doing their best to recycle and they're doing their best to just better the environment. But this program really puts the initiative for people. People and allows them to not only say that they're helping the environment, but actually do it. As a student from Israel, uh, why is it important to you that Winnipeg have programs like this? Um, Winnipeg, by nature, is a very collective city. Um, you tend to have a lot of friends and family go to events with you just to support a cause. 
And because, as I mentioned, it, the goal of this program is to promote an initiative, um, Winnipeg has to have programs like that that promote initiative to the citizens and really people and students as well. Um, as somebody who's been here for almost 12 years, I can say that from my experience, people like to help other people, but people also like to create a difference and make a difference to other people in the city and the environment in general. So this program is really good for that reason. So as we all know, plastic bag consumption is not just a Winnipeg issue, but a global one. Uh, what are some things happening in your hometowns of Ottawa and Israel uh, that you think Winnipeg could adopt? And what are some things that you would like to see your hometown adopt from Winnipeg's practices? That's a good question, Sunny. <laughs> um, I would say that Ottawa needs to adopt a better sense of community. What I love about Winnipeg is how much it's, even though it's a large city, it actually feels like a small community. Ottawa is very much a city of many small communities. Um, and that's what I love about Winnipeg is it's small, it's big, but small. Um, for me, Israel is really big right now on infrastructure and the implementation of railways. So. I'm not sure about the city of Winnipeg's budget on that, but I would say that if there is a way to work on constructions or maybe make better roads and maybe make better transportations for everybody, it not would necessarily help with the environmental issues directly, but it will give people a, a reason to be a lot more conscious. And if they see the city of Winnipeg taking an initiative for something as basic and as primitive as that, um, that it will encourage people to do the same. So let's flip the script a little bit. What about Winnipeg's practices in terms of recycling? Uh, would you like to see have done in your hometown? Um, Israel, by nature, is a fairly individualistic country, being that um, everybody are doing their own part without really caring too much about other people as well. Not to say it's a bad thing, but it's definitely different than Winnipeg. Um, in Winnipeg, as I mentioned, once once you see your friend and family taking an initiative to do something, or even go to a, like a social, um, the, you and the rest of your friends do the same thing. And I feel like more countries have to take that initiative. Uh, they want to be, uh, they need to be more collective and they need to take action towards something like that. And because environmental and climate change in general is such a big topic right now, um, it's something that other countries, including Israel, have to learn from Winnipeg. The average plastic grocery bag takes about 20 to 1,000 years to decompose, uh, which is absolutely ridiculous. And a lot of people don't realize that plastic bags can't go in your blue bins at home. So every little bit helps to reduce what goes into the landfill. How many bags has your class uh, donated so far? Well, it's crazy. Within just a few short weeks, uh, by reaching out to friends and family, we were able to collect 5,000 bags among us 20 students. Uh, that's a lot of bags. It's it, it takes up a lot of space to do that, but really it's only 5,000 bags. Winnipeg Harvest actually uses a million bags a year, um, so it was just a drop in the bucket, really, when you think about it. Absolutely. Every little bit counts. And those bags, again, go to the Winnipeg Harvest to help with their efforts rather than going into the landfill and decomposing over a thousand years. What do you hope your support will achieve in the long run? Honestly, we want to make sure that Winnipeg Harvest is able to take care of their clients the best that they can. Um, so our first thought is with Winnipeg Harvest, obviously. Secondly, we just need to get plastic bags out of the air and off the street and out of the gutters and give them the chance that they need to have many more purposes. So speaking of other purposes, what are the different ways people can reduce their consumption of plastic bags? 
Um, one way is essentially just reusing them. Um, as we mentioned here throughout this conversation, um, the environment must be protected. And one way that you can do your part is to take plastic bags and use them as shopping bags. Um, really try to find creative ways to use them uh, because the last place you want them to end up is in a tree or outside flowing in the wind. You really need to be a lot more creative and really find new ideas to use them. I would say the same thing. I mean, there's lots of organizations around town that even though we can't actually recycle them, um, have ways of repurposing them. Um, this is just one of them. On top of that, you can always ask to use your own personal reusable bag as well and just say no to plastic bags. For those looking to donate to the uh, Bag It Forward program, uh, where can people go? Certainly. So there's seven locations, seven bins on the University of Winnipeg campus um, scattered all over. And also uh, you can check out the MMSM website. There's a tab on their website that pinpoints uh, store locations around town where you can drop them off. Thanks again to Ziv, Ashley, and the entire PACE program at the University of Winnipeg for making an impact in our city. If you or anyone you know is making an impact, we'd love to hear about it. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching at WPGFDN, or feel free to call us at 204-944-9474, extension 360. Again, that's 204-944-9474, extension 360. This is Sunny Promolo for Because Radio. Thanks, Sonny. As we mentioned at the top of the program coming up next, Nolan Bicknell will join me to share a preview of the second episode of Because and Effect, which features artist and activist Cal Barteski, and she talks about her art as well as the cause that she supports, which is supporting non-invasive and innovative polar bear research in Manitoba's north. This week's foundation feature on Because Radio focuses on environment and animal welfare. If I'm not making things, I'm not myself. That was Cal Barteski, philanthropist, activist, artist, and founder of the Polar Bear Fund at the Winnipeg Foundation. And she is the latest guest on the Because and Effect podcast, which posts new episodes every Tuesday. And joining me now to discuss the latest episode featuring Cal Barteski is the host of Because and Effect, Nolan Bicknell. Nolan, thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Rob. It's good to be back on the show. So last week we heard about Scott Oak and the Bruce Oak Recovery Center. This week, tell me about your conversation with Cal Barteski. I would love to. Yeah, Cal was awesome. If anyone is familiar with her, she's an amazing artist known probably primarily for her uh, script work. Um, if you follow her at Cal Barteski on Instagram, you can see all her work, but she also draws, uh, or sorry, paints polar bears and different um, wildlife animals. We talked about so many things. She has like an amazing an amazing energy and is just uh, a really inspirational person with a great perspective on things. We talked about uh, trips to Churchill, her love for animals and polar bears, and just kind of how she stays motivated and inspired um, as an artist. I loved what she had to say when I asked her about any advice she would have for young artists or young activists out there. For the young artists, paint, 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 or draw, 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 or create, 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 and don't doubt that. Put your energy out. For young activists, get involved with any kind of organization that you think is doing good because it will lead you to the right place. Just do things. Do things. People that don't do things, they're boring. People that do things, even if it ends up not being the exact right thing at that time, 
do things. And that's such an important point that she made um, because, and I know this from experience, sometimes you get too bogged down in the details and you just have to to get out there and, and do what you do. Just do it. Absolutely. Yeah, Mikey had it right, right? Um, being an artist is is not an easy path to take, but Cal seems like she firmly believes in what she's doing and and also in the power of activism through art. Yeah, that's kind of something she hammered home kind of over and over was how art can really change communities and change the world. Um, it was an inspiring conversation. She was very confident in her path and, and the path that she's kind of chosen, which I found admirable and, and pretty motivational. I also asked her if she ever had any doubts about pursuing a career as an artist. I had no doubts, but every single person that I came up upon in my entire life had doubts. Are you sure you want to do this? Do you have a backup plan? Like, what, what are you going to do if it doesn't work out? I had never thought about what I would do if it didn't work out because I had never thought about it not working out. I love that. No backup plan necessary if, if failure is just not even an option. So that's a, you know, that's a really great life lesson there. Couldn't agree more. And yeah, she was, it was a wonderful moment. The, the conversation is full of wonderful moments. Uh, great little quotes that Cal has. She's just such a powerfully positive person. And if our listeners on CGNU want to hear the full conversation, you can listen online at becauseandeffect.org. Now, Cal also spoke uh, about being part of a documentary about Churchill and uh, and some of the struggles up there, but also um, about the, the resilience of the community. Mm-hmm. Did you talk about that for sure yeah and uh, she couldn't ha- she didn't have enough good things to say about the people of churchill and the town itself and the community that that is uh, sort of enduring up there um so the documentary you mentioned is called um no i'm here so k-n-o-w no i'm here and it's an awesome little slogan that they came up with to just kind of shine a light on the somewhat forgotten community of churchill cal's been using the power of her public art and of other public muralists and other artists to shine a light on the problem and sort of the isolation that Churchill has had to deal with over the years. And she talked about how powerful art can be in the pursuit of public good. I think public art is extremely important to communities. I think it's an incredible way for people to take ownership over their communities. Mm. And I also feel that when they have that ownership, they're more invested. So in that sense, public art can help communities invest more into themselves? Exactly. And that was kind of one of the great messages and a great story about Churchill. So if you're interested, uh, again, the documentary is called No, I'm Here, K-N-O-W, I'm Here. I think uh, CBC has it on their website. So if you if you Google No, I'm Here, you'll find it. Great. So uh, obviously you talked about a, a variety of topics with Cal. If you had to summarize the conversation in general, what would be your biggest takeaway? Um, she is just someone who sees a problem and solves it, who just kind of goes out there and gets stuff done, who just get out and do it. If something needs to be painted, you're going to paint it. If the problem needs to be solved, she's going to solve it. It was really motivating to talk to her, I think, and I hope that anyone who listens to the podcast, Because and Effect, at becauseandeffect.org, um, is hopefully going to find a little bit of motivation and inspiration as well because uh, she was just such an amazing person and I'm so thankful that she was able to be a guest on the podcast. I mean, if I'm going to sum it up, I think Cal can probably sum it up better than I ever could, so I'll let her do that. I'm the kind of person that if there's a there's a thing, there's a goal, there's a challenge, I'm just going for it. You make it work and, and you help each other out and that is something that maybe the rest of the world needs to do a little bit more, right? Mm-hmm. Make it work and help each other out. 
That was Cal Barteski from the Because and Effect podcast. And if you'd like to hear her inspiring conversation with Nolan, uh, new episodes come out every Tuesday on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, virtually anywhere where you get your podcasts. And uh, to get more information or learn how to subscribe, you can go to becauseandeffect.org. That's because and is A-N-D effect.org to listen and subscribe today. Nolan Bicknell is the host of Because and Effect. Nolan, thank you again for speaking with me today. Hey, thanks. We'll see you next week. And it's time for the Because Radio community calendar. And there's lots of events going on in our city this weekend. One that's happening tonight, Thursday, May 2nd, is the Pachakacha Night Winnipeg 20 by 20 on 1919, which is uh, held in partnership with the Winnipeg Foundation. Um, it's about 10 tributes to the 1919 Winnipeg general strike that changed history. And uh, artists, writers, and filmmakers will be presenting their tributes to the event that changed Canadian history forever. So doors open at 6.30 p.m. The show starts at 7. Uh, admission is pay what you want with a suggested uh, admission of $10. And that is happening at the Millennium Center on Main Street. Coming up this weekend as well is Wolseley's Envision Festival of the Arts, celebrating artistic and creative talent living and working in Wolseley and West Broadway. That's taking place Friday, May 3rd from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m., as well as on Saturday, May the 4th from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m., and that's at the R.A. Steen Community Center at 980 Palmerston Avenue. On Saturday, May 4th at 11 a.m., the Costume Museum of Canada, in collaboration with the Exchange District Biz and the Jewish Heritage Centre of Western Canada, is hosting Walking in Style, a Garment District Tour. And it's a chance to see the warehouses of companies like Jacob and Crowley, Stobart and Sons, National Cloak, as well as the Sterling Stall Company, and learn about the impact that these companies had on the Exchange District. There will also be a tour of the Costume Museum of Canada workrooms as well. And so uh, if you'd like to check that out, that is happening Saturday morning, May 4th at 11 a.m. And you just meet by the Cube in Old Market Square to participate on the tour. Sarasvati Productions is also launching their community-based project called Seven Visions, Reconciliation Through Theatre, and listeners to River City 360 would remember a couple of months ago we covered the project uh, when we spoke with artistic director of Sarasvati Productions, Hope McIntyre. The public launch will include an art installation piece based on the visioning sessions for the project that was done by visual artist Jamie Black, as well as a reading of Joe McDonald's Our home and native land, and there will also be an opportunity for responses and discussion. Admission is by donation, and the launch will happen at the Asper Center for Theatre and Film at the University of Winnipeg, so that's at 400 Colony Street, and uh, the launch is taking place Saturday, May 4th at 2 p.m., as well as Tuesday, May 7th at 1 p.m., Wednesday, May 8th at 10 a.m., and again on Thursday, May 9th at 7 p.m. 
And finally, the Winnipeg Mail Chorus is hosting its Spring Sing Concert on Sunday, May 5th at 2.30pm. Admission is $15 at the door, $5 for students, and that's taking place at Fort Gary United Church at 800 Point Road. And if there's a local event that you'd like featured on our community calendar, feel free to email us the details. The address where you can do so is becauseradio at wpgfdn.org. Again, that's becauseradio at wpgfdn.org. And that's a wrap for today's episode of Because Radio. Thank you very much for listening, and thank you to all of our guests who joined us today. If you'd like to listen to previous episodes or subscribe to our podcast, please visit becauseradio.org. Again, that's becauseradio.org. If you have any feedback about today's show, ideas for stories, or Winnipeg Impact Makers, please give us a call at 204-944-9474, extension 360, or email us at becauseradio at wpgfdn.org. And you can also follow the Winnipeg Foundation on social media at WPGFDN on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our Because Radio theme music, Call of the North, was written and performed by Micah Ehrenberg. You can find more of his music at MicahErenberg.com. Because Radio is produced by the Winnipeg Foundation in partnership with 93.7 CJNU-FM. I'm Robert Zirk, signing off for Because Radio. And this is Sunny Promolo. Thank you so much for listening and have a great weekend.